If you read the Bible in reverse, it's about the world's population killing each other until there's only two people left, and then the woman pukes an apple and they both get naked. And <laughs> I'd, I'd like to dedicate that tweet to Tim Tebow. My favorite time of the week as we welcome you to this Freeform Friday edition of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you. Episode number 411 of our little program. And you guys know what we do on Freeform Friday. It's a great way to end the week. And let's get started. Let's get the party rolling. And I give the microphone over to the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Fluke. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I want a little background on this one here because... I don't want to bring this up uh, too badly, the whole Wisconsin losing this week. That's a tough loss. But uh, so Big Cat at Barstool Big Cat, the host of the uh, Pardon My Take sports podcast, often the number one sports podcast in the world, for now. (laughs) Um, I'm assuming he's a Wisconsin fan because he made a tweet here that says, every time Wisconsin loses a heartbreaker, his friend Dave says to him, that has to be the worst Wisconsin loss you've ever endured. And I say, no, it's still Duke. And he says, oh, yeah, Duke. What was that about? That would have been probably, I'm thinking, the Duke uh, loss in the national championship basketball game in 2015. When, uh, oh, so that was basketball. That was a basketball. Oh, That's I, when I wonder, how did you Frank, lose to Duke in football? Frank Kaminsky, Sam Decker, that team that beat Kentucky, snapped their 38-game win streak, but then ultimately lost to Duke in the national championship game in Indianapolis, and then that was in 2015. That's what I think he's probably talking to, talking about. Okay, I was like, I hope they didn't lose to Duke at football. Jeez. <laughs> okay. No, you and I could still beat Duke. Okay, sounds good. All right, your buddy Conor McGregor at the Notorious MMA uh, made a tweet here because the other day Dana White, someone was asking him about Conor or something, and he said, Conor's not the man anymore. Habib is the man now. Really? Yeah, right? So, Connor's. So, of course, and then the last Habib match was in Abu Dhabi in like a makeshift. It was weird. It was like in a makeshift tent, basically. Yeah. I mean, they had lots of people in there, but still, it was kind of a weird location. I'm sure any anywhere over there pays a ton of money for, you know, guys to go over there. But anyway, so Connor says, who's not the man? Your man had that marquee event, did he? More like an event in a marquee. A tent in the fucking sand it was. <laughs> Keep spoofing to yourself, horse. Jock strap sniffer championships. <laughs> um, Connor's in, unfortunately, in the news again this week. I saw something that uh, he's facing a second sexual assault allegation. And, of course, he comes out and he denies it like they all do. But can you give us some update on what's going on with my favorite UFC fighter that seems to be making more news outside the octagon than in the octagon these days? Yeah, I mean, just, I don't know. I, I, he's actually talking about a fight with Frankie Edgar, which he should easily win. But Frankie Edgar, I love, and he's an exciting fighter. And Connor is acting like he suddenly wants to fight Frankie Edgar out of nowhere uh, in December, maybe even. Mm. So hopefully he'd come back soon. That'd be great. He does need to get back. That'd be a good fight for him because it'd be exciting, keep him on his toes, but he should still win it. Um, I, I'm sure he and Frankie would get along. It's not like a hatred fight or anything like that. So I, I'd love to, and I'd love to see Frankie Edgar get that payday. The guy's about the hardest working guy. Frankie Edgar, if I had to compare something, remember the 
uh, Arturo Gotti and Mickey Ward fight. I've like, heard about that. Yeah, yeah like they yeah. had this. Ins- that was that was boxing, but I mean, those, right. they had that crazy trilogy. Mm-hmm. Just two guys who just work their balls off and just go hard. That's Frankie Edgar, like just a hard working dude, a guy you want to cheer for, a guy that you want to cheer for all the way. Absolutely, I love Frankie Edgar. Still going strong. I thought he would have been done years ago. The fa- and he's you know I think he's past his prime, but the fact that he's still going, uh, got to cheer for the guy. So I'd love to see that fight. I think that would be really really nice for sure. But, uh, okay, so I've tried to be nice to this idiot. Okay. Uh-oh. Here we go. <sighs> and I know he believes in magical sky fairies, like in the most literal <laughs> way possible. And he thinks that college athletes shouldn't be paid just because he wasn't. You know who I'm talking about. I here. know. Mm-hmm. But for the win and for the win. Boy, this might almost be dumber than that other stuff. Tim Tebow makes strong case that Clemson isn't a playoff team. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I don't disagree with him. There. Mm. That's the problem. The undefeated Clemson Tigers, but see, Clemson, champs. right? I I know all that, but they've had they've had. I'd like to see their ranking of this of the schedule, their strength of schedule this year. Their strength of schedule has been putrid. Um, they struggled to beat North Carolina. Um, they should have wiped up the floor with North Carolina. Um, they have been in some games have been stretched to places that I don't think they should have been stretched to. Now, in fairness, Trevor Lawrence, they're all wonder kid, young quarterback, the sophomore. He has not been a hundred percent all year and he's been kind of trying to hide a couple of different injuries. And, uh, I don't know specifically what they are. I just heard that he has not been a hundred percent healthy all year long. No excuses. Uh, but they escaped against North Carolina. That's what good teams do. They escape. Wisconsin couldn't do it today. But um, I think right now there are probably four teams in this country that in the United States that are better than Clemson right now. And I have to say it would be Alabama. I'd have to say it would be LSU. I'd have to say Ohio State for sure. And Oklahoma would be my fourth right now. Hopefully, does Clemson play any of those teams down the stretch? See, no. Clemson's in the, in, the, uh, in the ACC. And the ACC is not as strong, obviously, as the SEC. The ACC is more of a basketball conference. That's where Duke is from. Uh, North Carolina basketball. Obviously, you've heard of the Tar Heels basketball program, but um, the ACC is not strong this year because Florida State has fallen on their face, and there just has been no real competition this year for the Clemson Tigers, and I think they've become kind of lackadaisical because they haven't had to really get fired up for anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, I, in my opinion, I mentioned four teams that I think are better than the Clemson Tigers right now. Okay, well that's fair, but I still think Tim Tebow's an idiot. And, no question. And, uh, and you know, if but you ever... remember now, I, uh, Tim Tebow works for the Southeastern Conference Television Network, so he is desperately trying to get Alabama and 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 LSU or potentially a one-loss Georgia team. He wants to get as many SEC teams in there. So having won a Heisman Trophy and two national championships at an SEC school, he's blowing up the skirts of any SEC fan that'll listen to his dumbass. Okay. Well, and if I, you want to prove that uh, Tim Tebow's an idiot, I always, I'll do what I always do, and I will consult Macaulay Culkin. And, <laughs> and, uh, well, you're better than a lot of people, because where is... Macaulay Culkin these days. Well, he, he's hanging out on Twitter is what he's... Oh, is he? Where he okay. is. And I love his Twitter handle, at Incredible Culk. <laughs> and uh, he just says, out of nowhere, I don't know why he said this, but uh, if you read the Bible in reverse, it's about the world's population killing each other until there's only two people left, and then the woman pukes an apple and they both get naked. And... <laughs> 
I'd, I'd like to dedicate that tweet to Tim Tebow. <laughs> I didn't know he had that much creativity in him anymore. He's a you know, different cat. I sure. got to tell. Well, I've heard that. I, I don't want to get into specifics, but that movie over Christmas time, Home Alone. Yeah. Home Alone. You know, I will always picture that drug-infested loser now taking on these idiots and beating them at nine years old. And I remember it as one of the great feel-good stories of the holiday season. And that's how I want to remember Macaulay Culkin. Mm -hmm. All right. Not as the drug drug traffic or drug... (laughs) Easy for me to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so uh, lots here. Let's go with... uh, There's lots of tweets about this. Just uh, your thoughts on CC Sabathia and if that's the end of the career. Well, it it is the end of his career because the... The Yankees this morning took him off the American League Championship Series roster, and since he was taken off of that roster, he is no longer eligible for the World Series. So his career is over. Um, Unbelievably difficult way for it to end. First of all, him being in the bullpen, and second of all, him leaving with a dislocated shoulder, I believe, in his left pitching shoulder. And and, uh, unbelievable, distinguished career. With the Cleveland Indians, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the New York Yankees, um, I think he's. You know, I here's the question though: two hundred, maybe two hundred and seventy-five career wins. I do not know. It's not close to three hundred. Um, he probably would have to pitch two more years to get to three hundred. Um, here's the question: one championship in his career. He was. He and Brett Gardner on this year's World Series Yankees are the only two guys that still remain on the Yankees roster from the last World Series championship that the Yankees enjoyed, which was 2009. He's won one championship career, again, very uh, decorated Major League Baseball career, but is he a Hall of Famer? He's got the championship, so we can't disqualify him for that. I know, he's got one, but... He didn't get to, th- which I, I think there's got to be a benchmark. You know, you always see hitters have to be at 3,000 hits. I, you know, and I know because of the speciality of pitchers in baseball today, um, it's hard for some of those guys to even go five and a half innings to qualify for a win anymore. It's ridiculous how special it has gotten. You know, and, and it's funny when you've got a game tonight, Game six of the American League Championship Series in Houston tonight, and both teams are going to a bullpen game, which they'll start a reliever and everybody goes one or two innings max. That is so unlike championship baseball history. I mean, it's just such a different game. And it's really difficult for starting pitchers to get to 300 wins now. So maybe you, you know, you grandfather CC Sabathia in. But that was always a standard for me 300 wins. I don't know. One championship short of 300 wins. Um, I'd love to put that out there for anyone who wants to comment on that on our Patreon page. Yes. As uh, Greg uh, is a baseball expert, knows a lot more than certainly than I do about baseball. Uh, Greg, does CC Sabathia belong in the Hall of Fame? Yes or no? I'd love to know. I, I, I throw that out there because I think now he'll get the benefactor of having spent the last 10 years in the New York media. I think he I think he gets in for sure, but I just I mean and, whether and, does he deserve it or not is the question. Well, and that's the question because there are other guys that I can think of off the top of my head. Bert Blylevin is one 
from the Minnesota Twins, most famously for the Minnesota Twins, but he never got to 300 wins, and he still got in. Um, so, I mean, again, is C.C. Sabathia deserving of being enshrined someday in Cooperstown? He's got a great, a great rapport and, and great respect among his teammates and competitors as well. You saw when he left the field last night in New York that people in the Houston uh, uh, dugout we're up and applauding for him. So, I mean, that's one of those, you know, I don't know. I mean, because if you let every guy that fans think should be in their respective halls, there wouldn't be enough room. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm saying here. Do I ultimately think he gets in? Probably. Oh, yeah. He's got to. Yeah, he will, but. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. Okay. Uh... I mean, there's there's at least five or six extra spots because hopefully those Leadhead drug guys, our favorites, Rafael Palmero and all his buddies. Hopefully, they'll never get in. So there'll be a few extra spots. CC will get in. All right, uh, Myra Angel at Myra. Well, uh, she says, "I will one thousand percent judge you by what hotel you stay at in Vegas." No question. Like no if question. you hear your buddy staying totally at the Excalibur, do you like not want to be friends with him anymore? Well, well, but you know, Excalibur has a reputation of being a kids' place. Mm-hmm on the strip because they got a lot of things for families to do there, you know, and that absolutely. What's the, uh, your favorite one now that doesn't smoke cosmopolitan. You want to judge me on the cosmopolitan, you go right ahead. But see, I'm only, if I, uh, I don't need to go to the strip, but if I were ever to stay in the strip, I'd only stay at cosmopolitan because of your reverence of it. Plus I like the no smoking thing. Plus I just, you know, trust your judgment plus oj simpson is banned from the premises i was just getting there that's the reason the second biggest reason i would go there um you know i have stayed at new york new york i'd never stay there again and the reason why the walls are paper thin you can hear everything that's going on in your neighbor's room whether you want to hear it or not um so yes you are judged by i mean if you're staying at if you're staying at, um, uh, used to be at the, the dunes on the corner, but now it's Bellagio. A Bellagio, yeah. If Perfect. you're at Bellagio, you're you're considered doing well. If you're at uh, the Win, the Win, obviously both towers, either either or Win doesn't or matter. Um, if you're at um, where's the other one that I'm thinking of that I've just lost at the top of my, I've stayed there many times. It's an Italian name. Oh, uh, the Venetian. Venetian. If you're at Venetian, you're doing okay. Um, if you really want to be considered, even to this day, off the strip, if you're at the Las Vegas Hilton, I don't know. I don't think it's the Las Vegas Hilton anymore. But the, the, uh, it's no, used, it's something else. It's, but you're considered to be okay. You're doing okay if you're staying at that one. So if you stay at those marquee ones, some people believe the Mirage still has some marquee value. It's really old. I don't agree with it. It needs a total upgrade. Although, in fairness, uh, <laughs> for my uh, uh, for my bachelor party I, five years ago, I did a couple of the guys did stay there, and they had a really their room was really renovated and really nice. And remember, I, and when I was living there, one of the greatest secrets of Vegas for me anyway was the eleventh floor and getting to stay there, and that's the comp rooms where they're unbelievable. Like you've heard the term, you have. I'm talking about people in unscripted land that may or may not have ever heard of the word or the term Dark Sunday or Dark Monday. And that means that, <clears throat> let's say, Siegfried and Roy, for a lot of people, still one of the more famous entertainment acts, but they would always be Dark 
Sunday and Monday, which means those are their days off. They do not perform on Sunday and Monday because those are the less popular days. They have the less opportunity to draw a crowd. Now, those two would draw a crowd any day of the week, but they do need time off, and that was part of their contracts. Um, But there's still some cachet in regard to the Mirage, but they still need to up their game a little bit, in my opinion. There's a lot of people that have a lot of loyalty to places like Caesar's Palace. Mm-hmm. I hate Caesar's Palace. Can't stand Caesar's Palace. Um, it's just, I don't know. But yes, long-winded answer to your question. You can be judged by the hotel that you stay in in the Las Vegas, one of the 76 casinos in the Las Vegas Valley. Mm-hmm. Okay, Golf Monthly at Golf Monthly. Uh, basically, uh, someone asked Brooks Kepka if he has a rivalry with Royal Ma- Roy McIlroy. And he said no, and they asked why, and he said because he hasn't won a major in five years. Damn right. I totally (laughs) agree with that. I heard the interview, and you know what? If we could get Rory McIlroy on the phone right now, I think he would say the same thing. Rory McIlroy has not won a major championship in five years. Coincidentally, that is the five years that Brooks Kepka has been on and 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 a uh, obviously big-time member of the PGA Tour. But right now, he's right. You know, I would think right now, I don't know, I'm just spitballing here, but I think the biggest um, the biggest two uh, rivals for Brooks Kepka right now in professional golf, one would be, and Rory's up there, don't get me wrong. Rory just, all Brooks is saying is that Rory needs to win, an, he needs to win another major championship. That's what he's saying. It, it came down between Brooks and Rory this year for player of the year, and Rory won it in 2019 because he won more times and then he ultimately won the tour championship. That's why. Even though Brooks uh, won a major, came in second in another, came in a top five and a third, Brooks right now is the biggest major player right now in in, uh, competitive golf. But I think Dustin Johnson is a competitor, but still, yeah, and he's won a major championship since Brooks came on board. But I think Dustin Johnson, I think Justin Thomas right now folks i really like justin thomas i like his game i like his competitiveness i like his even even though he's competitive i like his composure and his demeanor on a golf course i think justin thomas is realistically his number one rival right now on the pga tour okay i wanted to talk about a guy who was just right before i started really getting the nfl and that's work done played for the bucks and the falcons uh and uh, so field yates at field yates this is the 173rd home that Warwick Dunn has helped bring to a family in need. Uh, his selflessness and generosity is absolutely remarkable. So he works with Habitat for Humanity plus his own Warwick Dunn charity. And he basically goes around and helps build houses and then gives them to someone who could use it. And just seems like a great guy. You know, one of his teammates at, at Florida State University was one of my... I'm not a big fan of this guy. And you talk about guys on, on either end of the spectrum. Warwick Dunn was a class act at Florida State University, kept to himself. All he did was go out and produce big numbers, played on some underachieving, and just getting built up. He came on as as Tony Dungy was coming on, and Tony Dungy and Derek Brooks and John Lynch and those guys built the Tampa Bay Buccaneers up to the point where 
they they got him to a, a point of winning a championship, and then Tony Dungy surprisingly gets fired, and they bring in John Gruden, and Gruden takes him Gruden takes him over the finish line, and they win an, a uh, Super Bowl. Conversely, the other guy that I was talking about that was a Florida State teammate of Warwick Dunn at the time was one Neon Dion Sanders, and we know how selfish he is. Um, I know that I know now, and I I've got to pay respect now. Dion has really really done some good philanthropic things like start a school in the Dallas area. He's really done some good things. But at the time when they were both at Florida state, to me, Warwick Dunn seemed a little bit more team oriented while neon Dion seemed to be all in it for neon Dion. That's all I'll say. Sure. Okay. Mark Dice and Mark Dice. We don't call it fake news for nothing. And so he's talking about a tweet from Gizmodo at Gizmodo. Which was, so, you know, there's the whole Syria thing. So ABC News was trying to make it look and really drive home the conflict in Syria and all this. So you can see the video here. It's just one of the typical things, like, you know, whenever there's a news story, there's like in the distance, you see like the explosions and the stuff. It's, it looks like when, you know, 2003, when the Iraq was on the TVs all the time. Well, and, everything and, like that. and let's go back to 1991. And I had a ringside seat for it for six months. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I would watch... Uh, Scud missiles go up at night, and I'd watch Patriot missiles go up and try to intercept them. But those were real things. Here's the point of this tweet is, um, so the well, they're talking about the story and saying slaughter in Syria with the big super on the screen and showing all the explosions and everything. Um, uh, what Gizmodo is reporting is ABC News broadcasts fake Syria bombing video that's actually from a Kentucky military show in 2017. Well, see. I got to tell you something here, folks. Um, This is from experience. I had a front row seat in this. The media plays an unbelievably huge role in a lot of things that we do in life, but I bet there'd be a lot of people that would be surprised as to how big a role the media plays in military campaigns. And that's what they call things like Operation Desert Storm is a campaign, a bombing campaign an aerial attack campaign, a, a, a ground campaign or a ground attack. Um, I know this is a long time ago, but, you know, there's a Canadian by the name of Arthur Kent who made a name for himself working for ABC News during the Desert Storm 1, the one that I was involved with. And Desert Storm, they, they made Arthur Kent because women fooned or fawned all over him. They called him the stud scud. But it was amazing how much airtime he gets. And, you know, it's amazing that I've got to be honest with you when I say this, because my family, my, my wonderful wife, Judy, and her family are Arabic. And at the time when mo- both of my parents, my uh, in-law parents, my mother and father-in-law were still alive, they'd watch a lot of television that was based from the Middle East. Well, you can't believe the difference in coverage, folks, between what the CNN or Fox News or whatever's coverage is of a military campaign versus what the news coverage is from a Al Jazeera network or something like that, a Middle Eastern-based television satellite industry or organization or company or corporation, whatever you want to call it. They don't want to televise the bad stuff that happens back in the States because they want to televise and make it look like we're winning. It's very important to Americans, all-encompassing to win 
when you're committing as many troops and resources as we are to military campaigns, we better goddamn well win. But I got to tell you, you would not believe the difference between the news feed and whatever CNN and Fox News want you to see and believe of what's happening in the Middle East versus more of a true composition of what really is happening. You probably can't understand what they're saying on the Al Jazeera network, but there are subtitles. That's the difference. All right, uh, your old buddy got a little philosophical. There. That's okay. No, it's great. Um, hey, you, uh, you, you earned that for sure. Uh, all right, so your old buddy Chad Johnson at Ocho Cinco, because somebody somebody asked him about um, if he lied to somebody about who he was or something, and he uh, so he just simply put up a quote from his grandmother, Chad Ocho Cinco Johnson did, which was, "You don't have to lie to women." If she likes you enough, she'll lie to herself. Absolutely. Look at Judy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I got to say, I, I was very, I, I gained a little bit of respect a couple weeks ago when the Denver Broncos were playing my Packers in Green Bay um, because Chad Johnson came on and was filing reports for sportsillustrated.com all week prior to that game because of his relationship with uh, Devontae Adams the Packers fine receiver, the guy that's got the turf toe problem right now. But Chad Ochocinco was very complimentary of, of uh, Devontae Adams, and I was very appreciative of that. And I think, you know, there was a time, and you may not agree with me when I say this, my friend, but I believe there was a time that Chad Ochocinco was probably one of the top 10 receivers in the NFL. Oh, sure. At one time. Yeah. And I think he's one of these guys that hung on too long and his reputation took a bit of a hit when he came. And this is not a shot at the CFL. But if you were one of the top 10 receivers during his career in the NFL and then go down to the CFL and not even contribute and not even get on the field, he couldn't get on the field for the Montreal Alouettes. That should probably tell you something. Mm-hmm. That maybe you should have hung it up. Yeah. There's some guys that, you know, there's a real skill. There's a real skill in athletes. The guys that can figure it out and the guys that muck it up. The guys that figure it out know, you know what? I've done all I can do. I don't want to, you know, sour my professional name. I don't want people think of me lesser as an athlete as I hang on for a couple of years. And it's hard not to hang on when you're getting paid the kind of money that they're getting paid nowadays. But the guys that can get out before their skills erode to laughable status, those are the guys I have a lot of respect. It may cost them a little bit in regard to monetarily, but their reputations are intact, and they go out on a lot better playing field than a guy like Chad Ochocinco, who went out as a joke, in my opinion. Yeah, he definitely stayed around too long. That's why Seinfeld quit uh, when they probably had a few years left. Absolutely. Friends, was, same thing. Yeah, he didn't want to, uh, Jerry didn't want to you know, get to that point. And, uh, but I remember, wow, in whatever that was, around maybe 05, 06, when they had one of the best three-man receiving rooms ever, when you had Chad Johnson, TJ Hushmanzada, and Chris Henry. That's right. Man, like you talk about, that might be even better than the, what the Rams have for a top three right now. And uh, I loved that group. I thought they were uh, they were fantastic. So, yes. Okay. Uh, there's a gentleman you've probably never heard of named Israel Adesanya. He's, uh, he's the new middleweight champion in the UFC. And he is the real deal. He's undefeated. And he's steamrolling everybody. 
and seems like a good guy, seems pretty well spoken and everything. So he was asked recently about, hey, maybe do you want to move up a little bit in weight and have a super fight with John Jones at some point? Because you're both these kind of unstoppable guys. You're similar. They're both, you know, he's definitely smaller than John Jones, but they're both kind of similar build and taller, you know, thin, African-American, all that. Like they're very, there's, there's a lot of similarities with them. And so he was asked by Ariel Hawani. Actually, they asked his coach uh, about, hey, you want to have a super fight with John Jones? And his quote was, the coach, we don't have to give a person of John's nature the opportunity that Israel can bestow on him. If we were going to do a super fight, I would much rather do it against Stipe, a good dude, a nice guy, a stand-up guy. Wow. Basically saying that John Jones is such a piece of shit, yeah. they don't even want to fight him. And I think that's what Daniel Cormier is facing right now, too, when he's saying, I'll have one more fight against Stipe and that's it. To What you have to go through to just deal with a piece of shit like that is just it just weighs on you and it's I like I don't I don't like it. It reminds me of when I like was was tweeting about Nenshi and he responded to me and it was just creeped me out. Like it was just ugh, and then blocked me because I made fun of his English after he made fun of my English, but he was wrong and I was right. Um <laughs> uh but anyway, but just when you deal with a piece of shit like that, like it's just it just is just creepy and weird and you just want to do it. And so um I don't know. What do you think about about that idea? Just someone such a piece of gutter trash that you just well, don't I respect. Deal with. I respect anybody that comes out and and makes their beliefs known. He doesn't hide behind anything, and he's saying because of the reputation of John Jones over the year of fighting illegally or not within the rules, um, this guy could potentially be a big ticket item for John Jones, and he doesn't want to reward him. And I respect that. I really do. Don, John Jones, and I don't know him like you do, obviously, but from what I've learned from you and what I've read, John Jones doesn't seem to be the most reputable guy in the world. We'll just leave it like that. And uh, But again, I respect this young man for basically calling him out, and uh, he doesn't want his reputation sullied by getting into the ring with this guy. Yeah, and John Jones just the other day had another plea deal with uh, some waitress who accused him of harassment or something, so... Great job, kid. You're, perfect uh, timing. Yeah, yeah, perfect timing. Great, great role model out there. Yeah. All right. Uh, we need to get some onion in here. So the onion at the onion, it shows a picture of Adam Silver, and then it says, NBA quietly waiting for NFL to fuck up and take some heat off. Well, it's been a tough week uh, for the NBA in regard to Adam Silver, who uh, really stood out for his league. He's gotten total support from the team and executives of the NBA, but they've had a difficult week over some comments that – Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morley made over a recent trip. The NBA had an excursion uh, over to China, and um, uh, Morey tweeted and then deleted the tweet but made some some uh, derogatory comments about uh, something. I don't know the whole story. I, I, I really don't, but I do know enough that it was enough that the uh, Chinese television has taken all of the NBA games off of Chinese TV right now. I think it's just through the through the preseason. We'll find out a lot more about what they do moving forward with the regular season starting on Tuesday. But uh, it's cost the NBA a lot. Um, supposedly, if you ask Mr. Silver, the Chinese government asked the NBA to have Daryl Morey fired over his comments. Um, the Chinese government has come back and issued a statement that they did not want they did not ask for the termination of Daryl Morley, but long story short is there seems to be some miscommunication and um, 
Daryl, uh, and in fairness to Adam Silver, who seems to be really, really, and he, you know, he's got the support. Greg Popovich came out and gave him support about not firing Daryl Morley because of his his comments, because he is under operating under the umbrella of free speech. So, um, I think he's the best uh, right now. He is the best commissioner in professional sports. Um, he has unparalleled. Uh, support of his ownership of his owners, uh, the ownership group that make up the NBA, and the players seem to like him. So, you've got that kind of solidarity that only bodes well. But uh, I like the little shot there at the NFL. The NFL wishes, and in my opinion, and I think I can speak for Chris in this regard, um, the NFL could use leadership at its highest level, like an Adam Silver, for damn sure. We've got to run on this uh, 411th episode of Unscripted, our free forum Friday edition, a great way to end the week here on Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We hope you enjoyed it, and we certainly take the time to thank all of you for your participation and hope that you continue to do so here on Unscripted with the two of us. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.